Listener supported. WNYC Studios. From WNYC Studios, I'm Brian Lehrer. This is my Daily Politics Podcast. It's Friday, September 29th. If Congress sometimes gets derided as a three-ring circus, the insult might be a little more literal right now than usual, considering the three headline things happening right now that many people consider clownish, even though they have very serious implications. There's the looming government shutdown, of course, which could begin on Sunday. The Republicans' impeachment inquiry into President Biden, which began yesterday. And the alleged criminal activity of New Jersey Senator Bob Menendez, plus this wrinkle, apparently to help save Donald Trump from prison and help him get reelected, some Republicans have begun to defend Menendez while most of his fellow Senate Democrats are calling on him to resign. We'll explain. Here to help explain it all and also now to talk about the sad news that just broke a little while ago, maybe you haven't heard this yet, that California Senator Dianne Feinstein has died and about the politics of filling her seat, Washington Post senior political reporter Aaron Blake. He also writes their political newsletter called The Five-Minute Fix. Aaron, thanks for coming on on a day with all these moving parts. Welcome to ba- oh, welcome back to WNYC. Hey, thanks for having me, Brian. I appreciate it. Bob Menendez being pressured by many in his own party to resign. It looks like a majority of Senate Democrats are saying that now, but not Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. Can you unpack that for us a little bit on the Democratic side first? Dynamic. We we have seen a majority of um, of Senate Democrats come out in favor of Senator Menendez resigning, but Chuck Schumer is not one of them. Um, you know, I think that that is probably a reflection of their personal ties. Um, you know, obviously working together closely as the senators from neighboring states. Um, but the fact that you would have the leader of Senate Democrats who is not joining these calls, at least right now, I think is is pretty significant and I think gives Menendez a certain amount of cover. So a lot of people are are watching closely to see how that evolves, particularly after we saw Menendez's own, own um, the Jer- New Jersey colleague, Cory Booker, join the calls this week. And so, uh, you know, to the extent that we see Schumer coming out, I think it'll reflect a real full court press from Democrats to try and move beyond this. You have an article called The GOP's Defense of Bob Menendez and What They Ignore. And many listeners may have just heard that headline and think, wait, what? Republicans are defending <laughs> an embattled Democratic senator rather than taking the opportunity to pile on and help him get ousted? What Republicans and how? Yeah, we do live in wild times, and I think this is is kind of a crystallizing moment in them. Um, a few Republican senators have have said basically that uh, Menendez should be allowed to serve while this case moves forward. That he hasn't been convicted of anything. That you're innocent until you've proven guilty. Um, the leaders of this, or at least the earliest members from Senate Republican Conference to say this, were Senator Tom Cotton and Senator Marco Rubio. Of course, this is not really about Bob Menendez so much as it is about the Republican presidential frontrunner who is currently facing his own four indictments. Um, The Republicans want to set a standard where you can continue to lead a party even under indictment. Of course, many Republican presidential candidates have said they'll still support Trump even if he is convicted. 
And so um, I think it's a, a reflection of our times that the two parties have kind of broken down like this, where Republicans are put in the position of defending a Democratic senator in certain ways because they want that to be the standard. Uh, I, I would hasten to add that that Democrats have made, I think, a pretty valid point, which is that, um, you know, service in the Senate is not generally contingent upon whether you committed a crime. It involves the public trust. And so to the extent somebody has lost the public trust or violated that in certain ways, they say it is appropriate for that that uh, member of Congress to step aside. Uh, but of course, that hasn't proved very compelling for Bob Menendez, at least at this point. All right. And on the public trust, we have a board full of callers to say whether the standard of innocent until proven guilty should apply to whether he stays in the Senate or whether he should resign now as a majority of Senate Democrats are calling on him to do. And let's start with Eric in Short Hills. You're on WNYC. Hi, Eric. Good morning and hello. Uh, I'm a long-term Democratic voter, voted for Menendez. Uh, I think there's a big difference between innocent and proven guilty in a criminal trial and the privilege of serving in the Senate. Uh, I think Senator Menendez now has no credibility and no leverage, no ability to uh, represent New Jersey's interests, can't effectively operate as the uh, chair of the Foreign Relations Committee, and is only uh, undermining the ability of the Democratic Party to uh, push its agenda. So I think I think he needs to go and should understand that this is uh, there are things that are more important than his uh, personal career and standing in the Senate. All right. Kathy in Hillsborough, you're on WNYC. Hi, Kathy. Hi. I, I want to echo what Eric just said. Um, I'll first say that my whole career was in the world of uh, advancing women in politics and public leadership. So uh, thinking about Diane Feinstein and what an example of integrity she was and what a difference she made. So it sort of saddens me that my senator, for whom I have voted a number of times, um, has embarrassed us, really. And I, I want to underscore the idea that innocent until proven guilty is a concept for courts of law. And of course, we talk about the accused and alleged and all of that. But innocent until proven guilty does not apply to whether you're entitled to a United States Senate seat. And nobody is entitled to it without earning it and keeping the trust of the voters. Does it give you any pause that he was indicted on alleged corruption charges just a few years ago and got acquitted? Give you any pause on how to look at these charges? Well, I would have been happy to see him go then. I mean, there's, there's a lot of smoke, and I believe there's some fire in there somewhere. But these are very different charges, and I think just the, the you know, seeing those pictures of all of the gold blocks and all of that makes it feel very different and makes it feel just slimy. And, you know, when we're represented by somebody as uh, wonderful as Cory Booker, it just, it's not a good match. We need somebody who is of that quality. Thank you very much. Tish in Princeton, you're on WNYC. Hi, Tish. Thanks for calling in. Oh, thanks for having me, uh, Brian. I just want to quickly mention something. Um, in 2017, when he was uh, previously indicted, Menendez was not acquitted. There was a hung jury. And then, subsequently, the Department of Justice declined to rebring the case. Right, and so that is that is a that distinction treated, worth ma making and yeah. a correction worth making. Yeah. So I stand corrected. The, Thank you. Yeah, just because it wasn't that a jury looked at it and said, "Oh my God, this guy is not guilty or innocent." They were really wrestling with it. And so my conclusion then was that he should have just served out his term, thanked his lucky stars he wasn't convicted, and 
and gracefully left the Senate. Another thing to point out, just not to waste time by echoing as I do the sentiments about the difference between criminal and uh, between uh, you know the standard for criminal conviction and the standard for being in the Senate, is that in 2018, um, in the primary, Menendez ran against a, 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 a person with absolutely no name, less than $10,000, and she got 38% of the vote. Mm-hmm. So already then, Democrats in New Jersey were saying, you know, come on. And that was when he had the full support of the state Democratic Party and all the county lines. Tish, he's not thank, having that this time, so he's thank, gone. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, certainly under these circumstances, um, even may, well, there could be a trial and maybe there would be an actual acquittal uh, by Election Day, November 2024, uh, and the voters wouldn't hold any of this against him. On the other hand, you make a very salient um, political point against a, an unknown um, that unknown last time around got a pretty high percentage of the vote. Meanwhile, here is Menendez from his short public statement this week, asserting his innocence and vowing not to resign. And listeners note the end of the 30-second clip here, where he seems to imply that his fellow Democrats are throwing him under the bus for political expediency. Listen. A cornerstone of the foundation of American democracy and our justice system is the principle that all people are presumed innocent until proven guilty. All people. I ask for nothing more and deserve nothing less. The court of public opinion is no substitute for our revered justice system. We cannot set aside the presumption of innocence for political expediency when the harm is irrevocable. Political expediency when the harm, at least to him, is irrevocable. So Aaron and our guest is Aaron Blake, Washington Post senior political reporter. Uh, You have very conservative Republicans like Senator Tom Cotton, who you quote in your article, saying something very similar, no? Yeah, I I think that Senator Menendez makes a, a point here, and that is that it is not difficult, you know, setting aside personal relationships for these senators to call for Menendez to resign and, and perhaps even expedient. Uh, he would be replaced by a Democrat as an interim appointment from the Democratic governor, Phil Murphy, uh, of course. And this, you know, the idea here is that Menendez being on the ballot next year could potentially be a liability. If he wins that primary, does that open the door to Republicans winning that seat? Maybe not. You know, we've seen Republicans try and fail so many times in New Jersey before, but you never know what's coming down the pike if he's going to go to trial after that primary. It's just a situation that um, that is very complicated for Democrats and needlessly so. And better to get somebody else in there who who isn't going to pose those kinds of problems. Um, So I I think that it's a valid point that that these Democrats are not just doing this necessarily only because they think it's the right thing to do. It's also politically expedient, but that doesn't, you know, that's not mutually exclusive of the idea that they also think it's the right thing to do. And I would add, by the way, you know, there is so much focus on the gold bars and that's very vivid and illustrative of, of this indictment. Um, But I think when it comes to service in the Senate, perhaps the more significant stuff is the alleged actions on behalf of Egyptian interests. 
This was writing a letter to his Senate colleagues, uh, ghostwriting it, allegedly. This was feeding information that was sensitive that he had gotten from the State Department, allegedly. So when you talk about the public trust, having somebody like that in a position of power, uh, I think that that's something that uh, that, that kind of weighs heavily on these calls for him to resign. Yeah, I'm glad you pointed at that because we're planning a segment for next week on exactly that. Everybody's talking about the gold bars, but there was U.S. foreign policy uh, toward arguably one of the worst dictatorships in the world, the government of Egypt, um, foreign policy influence that was wielded on their behalf, allegedly because of bribes. So we're going to look at the foreign policy implications in a separate segment next week. Also, um, Democrats argue that this shows, A, the difference between the moral, moral and ethical standards of the two parties, and B, that the justice system is not corrupt, uh, as the Republicans claim to defend Trump, because never mind the politicians in Congress, it was a Democratic justice system and a Democrat-appointed prosecutor in New York, U.S. Attorney Damian Williams, who brought the charges against Menendez from his own party. And when a Democrat is credibly accused of things, most of his party mates say he should resign, so different from Republicans rallying around Trump for his multiple serious alleged offenses and some things he's already been found to have done in courts of law like sexual abuse and and corporate fraud. Um, So there may be political expediency with respect to some of the people in Congress, but both of those things may be at play, both the ethical standard and political expediency, and with respect to the justice system, since those are supposed to be non-political positions, uh, maybe it's a little more evidence that the justice system is not corrupt. One theory I heard, Aaron, of why Menendez is keeping his seat is that if he's still technically in office, he can raise or spend money through his political campaign arm for his defense. If he resigns, that money spigot gets closed. Do you know that to be true about money he could or couldn't use? Yeah, there there are some some rules on this. Um, the the you know the reason that it would be possible, even if it, there were suggestions that it would not be, is that the enforcement of campaign finance laws is so lax right now. The Federal Election Commission has been basically a non-entity for many years because it's so gridlocked. Um, so that's that's a, a, a viable theory, I think. Um, certainly, you know, I, I think the idea of resigning in disgrace is probably a, a really big motivating factor here, uh, as is the you know idea that he was indicted before and, and it did not result in a conviction. So um, certainly, you know, I, I, I don't know how much money he's going to be able to raise, how many people are really, you know, itching to, to donate money to his legal defense effectively. Um, but that is something that could come into play. All right. In our last few minutes, the government shutdown would start Sunday with no agreement to fund the government. Where do things stand? Yeah, so basically, you know, I think the the epitome of this is that the action today that the House is taking is to vote on a continuing resolution uh, that is much smaller than the one in the Senate. So this would be a, a temporary extension for 30 days. Um, at much lower levels than the Senate had proposed. Um, But this is also something that appears as though it is going to fail. So the House Republicans are putting bills on the floor and, and, you know, holding votes on rules and things. 
uh, that are failing. And that is something that you don't do if you can avoid it at any cost. But it seems to be the calculation here is to look like you're trying something to see if that kind of shifts people around. And I think it's really just a reflection of how unwieldy the Republican conference has been for House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. There just doesn't seem to be any obvious solution here or any real plan for dealing with this until we actually kind of go over that edge this weekend. Let me just get one clip in here of House Minority Leader, the Brooklyn Democrat Hakeem Jeffries, yesterday with one possible path path to a House majority vote to keep the government open. Hakeem Jeffries. I think we need the so-called moderate Republicans to partner with us, break away from Marjorie Taylor Greene and the extremists in order to end the extreme MAGA Republican shutdown effort. Can you explain that briefly before you go? There is actually a House majority that would vote for a funding measure right now, but they can't bring it up to a vote? Yeah, I think that's that's been clear for a while that they could do something like that. The problem is that it would lead to a backlash in the Republican Party. It would probably lead to the end of Kevin McCarthy's speakership, which, by the way, may arrive soon anyways with talks of a motion to vacate. Um, this is, you know, the way that the rules have been set up, and, and this traces back to when McCarthy was elevated to speaker and had to make a number of concessions. Uh, it basically makes him beholden to a very small number of Republicans who can stand up and insist that something passes with a majority of the Republican Party's support. Um, they can unseat him if they want to. Um, it, it's it's a situation in which. The only solution may be for these moderate Republicans to break off and, and join with Democrats. But getting to that point is so politically arduous that it would really be uh, a, a move of last resort and something that would, would reverberate in many unpredictable ways. Aaron Blake, Washington Post senior political reporter and writer of their politics newsletter, The Five Minute Fix. Thanks so much for coming on on this busy day. Thank you, Brian. Brian Lehrer, a daily politics podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time.